Open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to finish our sermon series on the book of Daniel here this morning as we finish chapter 6. I had some people come up and ask me why we're not going through the other chapters because I don't like the other chapters. <laughs> what I mean by that is there's like prophecy and it's like book of revelation types of stuff and I, frankly I don't get too excited about stuff like that, you know. So, and also I'm not very bright and so I don't understand all that stuff so I'm just going to stick to stories. I like stories. I like stories. Okay. Let's go ahead and read this passage together and... Uh, Some introductory remarks. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius, or I've heard Darius is how it's also pronounced, appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Well, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 5, finally these men said, we'll, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God, So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. In accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed, so King Darius put the decree in writing. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So... Verse 15, jump down. The men was a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the ring of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's den? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You guys, 
We're going to look at a couple more scripture passages really quick in the book of Psalms. It's regarding lions and dens, and it's relevant to our story today. Check this out. Psalm 91, verse 13. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. Psalm 22, verse 13. This, by the way, is the Messianic psalm that Jesus actually utters on the cross. And in this psalm we find, verse 13, Roaring lion, tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. Verse 21, rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Daniel chapter 6 is a familiar story, yes? That's why I don't like it. It's a familiar story, and that's why I don't like it. What do I mean? Daniel chapter 6, unfortunately, is one of those stories that's familiar to many of us, and it's done more harm than good. Daniel chapter 6 is the reason why some of you are weak today. Daniel chapter 6 is the reason why some of you are, used to be, consider yourself Christian, but you've walked away from the faith. Daniel chapter 6 is the reason why many of your faith is weak. Daniel chapter 6. What are, you, what are you talking about? Here's how Daniel chapter 6 is mostly been taught and interpreted, right? Be courageous like Daniel. Have faith like Daniel. Trust God like Daniel. Yes? Right? And what? And then God will shut the lion's mouth. God will rescue you from the lion's den of trouble. God will blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Too many of us go, it's not true. Life tells us it's not even true. And you're sitting there today going, yeah. I trusted God. I was obedient to God. I was a person of integrity. I obeyed God. I was a man of faith. And my life stinks. I got all kinds of trouble. I got lions on my rear end. It feels like it. I just, it doesn't. Can I get an amen from anybody? See what I'm saying? See, you may not necessarily appreciate appreciate my preaching, but you got to appreciate my style, right? I sit here going... Okay, where are you going with this? Well, here's where I'm going with this. Listen, listen. You know what I say? I know somebody who was more innocent than Daniel. And he suffered. I know somebody who had more faith than Daniel ever will have. And he was crushed. I know somebody who uh, obeyed God to the very last breath. And they too actually threw him into a den, put a stone over his grave, and he died. I know somebody who uh, lived a life of integrity, but he walked away with scars. Who are you talking about? His name is Jesus. See, the very life and message of Jesus even tell us that how we've typically heard Daniel understood is not even true. So you can today go flat to the traditional interpretation of Daniel 6, to which I say, amen, brother, amen, sister. Because that's not 
If you understood Daniel 6 always as the moral of the story is, children, be courageous, have faith in God, and that God will tell you can go, forget that. The moral of the story, the moral of the story of Daniel chapter 6 is not that. And then what is it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. What is the moral of the story? You know? Uh, we are going to finish our sermon series on the book of Daniel here this morning. And in case you've just joined us, we've been talking about living ordinary lives or, or, or living our lives as ordinary rebels in, in this culture. And the reason why we've said ordinary rebels is because hopefully by now you guys are realizing that the Christian life that God has called us to is not for the super spiritual. It's not for the, you know, uh, incredible giant spiritual. It's not for, it's not for that. It's for everyday life folks, everyday folks going about their lives, living their lives in a countercultural, revolutionary way. And that indeed, that's the life that God has called all of us to. The challenge, though, becomes how do you do that in this culture as a Christian? How do you do that in a culture that's secular? How do you do that in a culture that's polytheistic? How do you do that in a culture that says there are many paths to God, many truths, and so on and so forth, when you claim to believe in an exclusive God of the Bible? How do you do it in a world where their views on sexuality, how, they do, how you use your money, how you go about living your life is so radically different from what you believe? How do you do that in a light? How do you do that in a culture and a society where sometimes, flat out, they're hostile to our faith and to us because we're Christian? How do we do that? Well, that's what we've been talking about. And essentially, what we're ending this sermon series is asking this question, how do we live as light in this world as Christ is light in this world? How do we live our lives displaying, radiating the truth, the beauty, and glory of God in this culture and our society today? We're going to get painfully specific today as we look at this passage and as we end. You ready? You ready to jump in? Okay, let's jump in. I know you're sitting there going, you better tell a different side of that story after building it up like that because if I wind up with the moral of the story is, I'm not coming back. Okay, so when we look at this text, what do we learn about living as light? Now, when we come to Daniel chapter 6, scholars say that Daniel's about 80 years old, 80 years old, he's an old man. But again, Daniel has risen to the top of this government structure in Babylon. He is literally at the top of his game in this pagan government in Babylon. And he's about to get another promotion. Okay? He's about to get another promotion. Okay? They had administrators, and over them there were these three people. Okay? And out of the three of which one was Daniel, Daniel gets a promotion now to oversee the other two that oversaw all of these hundreds of administrators. When you look at Daniel chapter 6 and look carefully at what prompted that promotion, we find three things real quick, okay, real quick. And they speak uh, volumes to us about living our lives in this world. First and foremost, we find in verse 4 that Daniel was incorruptible. Can you all just say that with me this morning? Because I want to make sure you're with me this morning. Incorruptible. Ready? Incorruptible. The second verse in Daniel chapter 6 tells us that one of the problems with governments at that time was accountability that the king might not suffer loss. Here's what this means. We live in the city of Chicago. This is very common. (laughs) People who rose to power, okay, got a little something, something for their pockets. How did they do that? People rose to power, would overcharge people, okay, that served them, okay? And then when they got that money, they gave less of that to the people that oversaw them, okay? You call it what? Extortion, whatever you want, lining up your pockets, okay? And government officials at that time were notorious for doing that, okay? They overcharged their constituents, got the money, gave a little bit to the king, and then kept the rest. Daniel didn't want to do that. He refused to do that. 
And one of the reasons why that the rest of the people were all up in arms is think about it. If that's how you make your living, and now this guy's about to get promoted, who don't do that? So all of a sudden, now your livelihood is in jeopardy, right? A little something, something that you were getting on the side is no longer there. So they're all up in arms. Now, second thing that we see. I'm sorry, Uh, another part of Daniel's incorruptibility, and I love this, okay? It's it's alluded to in this passage, but it's found throughout Daniel. Daniel was a straight shooter. Daniel was one of those people that was willing to tell the truth in love in front of you, and then behind you, they actually defended you. Very unlike the king's officials. You know what they did to the king? We love you, king. We think you're the bomb. compliant compliant, and nice 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 and then behind his back they're trying to rip him off shred him daniel king i might die for this but i'm going to tell you the truth because i love you and behind his back he's defending him standing up for him defending for his rights uh which one are you more like you know what i find in the christian community Thank you. So nice. You're the bomb. Bye. You know what we need in the church? We need people in front of you because they love you. They'll speak the truth and be a straight shooter. And behind you, when other people slander or attack you, you defend them. You defend them. You say, they're not like that. They're growing. They're people of honesty and integrity. That's what you do. That's what Daniel did. Told truth and love in front of you, and then behind you, he defended you. Defended for your rights. That alone will create healthy community. That alone will result in deeper relationships in our church. Amen? Okay. Those of you that are going, I love it. I'm one of them street shooters. I love it. Let me at them. Don't don't get on your hobby horse yet, okay? Because I got something for you a little later, okay? All right. Secondly, we see that Daniel was not just incorruptible, but he was diligent. Verse 4, he was neither corrupt nor diligent. Part of the reason why he was effective is because he was neither corrupt but also negligent. That is, is, he worked hard. He was disciplined. He overlooked nothing. Listen, you can be honest but be undisciplined. You know anybody like that? You can be honest. You can say, I'm incorruptible. Next thing is, are you disciplined? Do you work hard? Are you diligent? Do you overlook nothing? Are you sitting there cutting corners, waiting for your time to pass, punch out so I can go home? Okay? He was the, and then third, Daniel was exceptional. Oh, man, this is really hard. It's possible for you to be honest and undisciplined, but also it's possible for you to be disciplined but you stink at what you do. (laughs) Are you tracking? Do you know people like that? Right? He was not only disciplined, but he was very effective. Verse 3 says Daniel should distinguish himself throughout through his exceptional qualities. And the sense of that verse is whenever Daniel took up any task, he always did it with such excellence that people around him followed him and it raised their game. Why was Daniel light? He was incorruptible. He was honest. And yet, he worked extremely hard, and he was really good at what he did. (sighs) 
Leah is shaking her head. Does that mean that's, that's good or does that mean that's bad? That's really hard. It's hard. Look, we could talk all about what it means to be light in the world and blah, 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 but you know what it means, a big part of it? Are you honest? Man and woman of integrity? Do you work hard at what you do? And do you excel in it? To which many of us can go, all right, let's go home. <laughs> Forget about being light in the world. What is, look, what does it mean for us to be light in the world? It means that whatever it is that God has called you to, whether you're pouring coffee at Starbucks, whether you are working in that office, a teacher, whether, no matter what it is, whatever it is you are doing, being light, it means, I'm going to get very practical, it means that people say about you, you know what they do? They don't gossip, they say, t h a t she defends you. Really? She does. You know what it means to be light? They're the first ones to show up. They're never late. On time. And when needed, they stay longer. And they work extremely hard. You know what it means to be light? They say about you. They're good at what they do. So people actually follow them. Really? Yeah. And get this. They're a Christian. What? (laughs) I didn't know Christians were like that. Oh, yeah. This is so convicting for me. So convicting for me. Outside of my ministry years, I actually worked at a hotel. Yeah, as a concierge, whatever you call it. Can you see me, right? (laughs) I did. I worked at the Hyatt. This was uh, while I was at a, you know, away somewhere. And I worked at the Hyatt. I worked for about a month. I was pathetic. I was pathetic. I was rude. I never showed up on time, first one to leave, and I helped myself to food that was available that was reserved for guests, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was just absolutely out of control. You know, I share that with you. I want you to know, and I've done some other jobs. I've worked at Bath, Bath and Beyond and so on and so forth. I want you to know. I know. Can you, right? <laughs> and guess what? I showed up late. <laughs> I helped, I helped myself to something, something, you know, I didn't take, like, stuff home. I, I, I was, I was, look, look, you know, here's the reason why I say that. Because I want you to know, those of you that work in the culture society at large, and you're sitting there going, you have no idea how hard it is. One, I do. I've been there. And two, when I say this, I don't say this flippantly. I know the challenges. You know what Daniel is doing? Daniel's essentially living out what God told the exiles in Jeremiah 29. Do you remember? This is so beautiful, right? Remember? God tells Jeremiah, and it's that passage where God says, you know, I have plans to prosper you and make you, and and we totally take that verse out of context. Remember what that verse is couched in. God gives that passage to Israelites who were in exile, and instead of Instead of moving into Babylon, living in the city and engaging the city, they built these Christian little ghettos outside the city, and they were sectarian, withdrawn, and just attacked. And God says, no, 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 I want you to move in to the city. I want you to settle down. I want you to increase in number. I want you to bless the city. I want you to work not just for your good. You make a lot of money. You make a living. I want you to make the entire city prosper. Okay? 
And Daniel is doing that. He's, and by the way, and do that while remaining distinct. Do that without assimilating to the larger culture. And we see Daniel doing that. Daniel is openly committed to the exclusive God of the Bible. Daniel is three times a day, and that wasn't just formal ritualism. It shows his commitment to the God of the Bible. He is saying, I know where my foundation is. I know where my anchor is. I know who it is that I serve and I'm committed to. And I want anybody else that wants to know, here I am. And yet, at the same time, what is he doing? He's deeply involved in society. He's working for a pagan government. A pagan government that's oppressing his people. He has a secular job, and he's doing a phenomenal job at it. Secondly, he is exceptionally competent. What God meant when he said increase in number. He is exceptional at what he does and is rising to the top of his profession. And third, he's a man of character and integrity. People try to find dirt on him. They literally trail him, and they can't find a single thing to accuse him of. Holy cow. Daniel is living on Jeremiah 29. How are we doing? It's nice for us to sit here and lie to the world, lie, you know, form fuzzy comfort. Actually, this should totally convict us and go, oh, man. What are we to learn about being light from Daniel chapter 6 in our culture, in our society? Three things real quick. I think we can learn uh, what we do. We can learn something about how we do it and where we do it, what we do. What, what do we learn from Daniel? What we do. You will never in this church, never hear such nonsense, such stupid nonsense like, if you really want to serve the Lord, you've got to go to seminary. You've got to go into full-time ministry, brother, because that's the way you serve the Lord. You'll never, you know why? Because going to seminary and full-time ministry is not better or worse than any of you that work out in the culture. Amen? That's nonsense that evangelical Christians, some circles have created this, you know, dichotomy. If you really love the Lord and you want to show it, you go into, you say, ugh. I told you guys about my struggles in this area. I'm married to a physician. And, you know, in my stupid youthful days, I thought that being a pastor was more important than being a doctor. So I said to my wife, if you really love me, you'll stop being a doctor and you'll support me and become a pastor's wife, right? To which she said, what? Will you give up being a pastor and support me as a husband? And I knew I had a good one right there. I, I knew. I knew she was the one for me. You will never hear in this church what you do, every single one of us has been given kingdom assignments and where we go and serve. Look, Daniel could have been an amazing prophet. Do you realize that? Amazing prophet. He could have been an Ezekiel, Isaiah. He could have been an amazing prophet. But Daniel chooses to be in a secular job, secular vocation, working for a pagan government. Those of you that are doing your job and there is not a single Christian around you, there's not single Christian value kinds of things around you, I praise God for you. You're important. Uh, but there's a flip side. How? How do we do this? Flip side of that is this. If you have never, and I said this before early on, if you have never asked a question, if you have never asked a question as an actor, 
as, as, a, as a musician, as a businessman, as a lawyer, as a teacher, or whatever, if you have never asked the question in this vocation, if you have never asked the question, how does my commitment to Jesus, how does my relationship with Christ, how does the themes of gospel and salvation, how does my life in the kingdom, how does the fact that I'm committed to Jesus who is king, if you never ask the question, how does that affect how I do my job on a regular daily basis, and you just go about doing your job, you've already assimilated. You've already submitted into the culture. Do you get up each day? Do you regularly remind yourself, God, why do I do this again? That's right. Why do I do this again? That's right. And this is particularly true for those of you who are in professions where a lot of times you're caught in between two decisions. One isn't necessarily evil, but it's two decisions where you're like, oh, I don't know if I should. The thing that anchors you is if you go into it going, God, I am in this for your glory. And how do I do this in a way that it reflects your glory? And then lastly, where? Where? How does it affect where? The light of the world, where? You know what's interesting? When God says to Israelites, work for the peace and prosperity in Jeremiah 29, the word there is literally the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom literally meant uh, integration. Shalom meant wholeness. Shalom meant completeness. Shalom meant holistic sort of healing and holistic goodness and holistic strength. And what God is saying there literally to the Israelites was this. I want you to choose to go to places of greatest disintegration. Choose to go to places of greatest brokenness, greatest marginalization, greatest places of need. And I want you to live there, I want you to work there, and I want you to be there. You know what this means? (laughs) This means we have to do something that's sort of counterintuitive for us. That means that for many of us, for whom, where do you want to live? I want to live where people look just like me and make the same amount of money and talk. Why? Because it's uncomfortable being in a place where there's racial division and racial hostility because it means that I have to be an agent of transformation. God forbid. I have to be a reconciler. God forbid. I have to be somebody that will actually go out of my way. And so we all want to choose to live. Where do you want to work? I don't want to work there. Why? Because it's hard. Of course. Somebody, somebody talk to me here. Carl, are you talking to me this morning? Listen, where do we work and where do we live? We choose to be in places. God says you're salt. What is the job of a salt? A salt is a preservative. You don't put salt on stuff that doesn't disintegrate. You don't put salt on potatoes and go, I hope you, you know. And not going anywhere. You put salt on Meat, stuff that's just going to disintegrate, stuff that's going to go bad. And God's saying, you're salt, meaning what? Don't go to places where it's not falling apart. Go to places where things are falling apart. You're light. Oh, isn't this great? It's bright in here, but I'm just adding to the brightness. Can you tell? No, we can't tell. (laughs) Go to where it's Live where it's dark. I have a friend who's been talking to her the last couple of days, Rachel Raymond. Some of you guys know her. She's a makeup artist who works in that strip club, Gentleman's Club on the south side of Chicago. You know, she's been working there um, basically as a way to witness, to administer to the girls who dance. I mean, holy cow. I said, how's it going? She says, it's still hard, Peter, but I'm getting to share about Jesus with these girls who'll never hear about him. 
And some of them are actually coming to church with me. I'm like, wow. And then I thought about Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus was in heaven with, 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 with the Father? And God said, okay, I got a job for you. All right, what is it? I want you to go to earth. No! <laughs> down there I know it's falling apart down there I know people are broken I know we're messed up I know one of the clearest ways that we see principles about living in this world Uh, We're moving on, by the way, okay? It's the interaction between Daniel and the government officials. I want to move through this as quickly as possible because I do want to get to the moral of the story, okay? Um, You notice that Daniel draws a ton of hostility from, from the government officials, but interestingly, check this out, check this out, you guys. They hate him because, because, you know, I think part of the reason is they hate him because of professional jealousy. Any of you guys work in environments where people are extremely driven, hardworking, excel, and, and just ambitious? Anybody? It's, it's infamous in places like that that whenever somebody gets a little, uh, a little promote, a little bit more galore, a little bit, people just go nuts! Right? So some of it is professional jealousy, like, who the heck does he think he is? Ain't no better than me. But check this out. When they find out that he's honest, that he's clean, he's pure, they hate him even more. Why? This is cool. You ready for this? So here's what happens. They decide, all right, we've got to bring him down, okay? We've got to bring him down. So let's dig up some dirt. Let's dig up some corruption in him. Ask, why do they want to do that? Talk to me here. Why do you think the government officials said that's how we're going to bring him down? We're going to find corruption. Huh? Say that one more time. Justify their actions? Yeah, kind of, Aaron, you know. See, uh, here's what they're thinking. They're thinking, he's just like us, right? Oh, yeah, government official. He's got to have some corruption and dirt, so let's go. So they look, and they find out he's nothing like them. He is nothing like them. And so their hatred and their hostility towards him even increases. You know what the human natural principle here is that we could apply? Listen, if you're a thief, you're going to think everybody is stealing from you. If you're a liar and you have a tendency to lie, you're always skeptical of what people say. It's a natural bent of the human heart to justify ourselves, as Aaron said. And this is what we say. I know this ain't right, but everybody's doing it. I know this is not right, but you're doing it. You can't judge me. Who says I'm doing it? I'm not doing it. Yes, you are doing it. How do you know I'm doing it? Because. Because why? Because you're doing it? (laughs) But they don't have the self-awareness to go, here's how I justify my actions. I know that's wrong. I shouldn't buy that, but I'm going to buy it anyway. Why? Everybody else does it. Everybody? Really? Everybody? I know this isn't right, but I'm going to say it. Why? Everybody else says it. Everybody? Everybody. The way we justify ourselves and our actions is by saying, this isn't right, but everybody's doing it. 
Do you know why their hostility grows? It's what happens to you and me when we find ourselves in the presence of an incorruptible, honest, godly, pure, loving, kind, patient person. When we're in the midst of that, isn't it amazing human nature? We don't go, I want to be just like them. I want to be just, we don't do that. What is our human tendency? We go, you're making me feel uncomfortable. Why, 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 why you, why you, don't, don't come near me, why? We don't feel comfortable, why? Romans 8, you know what it says? The natural mind, mind disconnected from the spirit of God is not just indifferent to God, it says it's hostile to God and hostile to the things of God. If you're a dirty person, this is a visual illustration, you don't feel dirty when you're around other dirty people because you don't even know that you're dirty. But when you come in the presence of a clean beautiful, attractive life, what happens? You see your dirt, and it makes you uncomfortable. You know what's going on in Daniel? Daniel is being persecuted by the government officials because his life is attractive. He excels at what he does. He is a man of character. He is diligent, and he's openly committed to the God of the Bible. And when given opportunities, he speaks up. Let me just... Do you know why we don't get persecuted? Do you know why our lives are very comfortable? Do you know why we don't get as much what Daniel gets? Are our lives any different? Are our lives any more attractive, any more generous, any more kind, any more godly, any more patient? is the reason why maybe we don't influence the world around us. Or not, and certainly we don't get the pushback is because they're looking at us and going, you're just as grumpy, you're just as materialistic, you're just as selfish and self-centered as I am. You're just like me, so I'm going to leave you alone. And for some of us, the reason why we don't get the pushback is because we're secretive about our faith. Some of us actually have to pause before we pray in public to eat. Why is that? Some of us actually pause when somebody says, I heard you're a Christian, Christian, like Christian, are you Christian? To which you go, well, what do you mean by a Christian? I just asked you a question, are you a Christian? Well, it depends on what you mean by a Christian. You just kind of divert the conversation, you know? I do this. That's why I'm saying maybe some of you do it as well, right? And we're afraid to speak up for our faith. And sometimes we even, sometimes we make the excuse of saying, well, I don't want to be like those Christians who are all offensive and up in arms and da 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 To which the Bible says nothing about, the Bible says be prepared to give an answer for what you believe. In other words, just talk when they ask. To which we go, I don't want to do that. Why? Do you want to know if, I still want to be out there right now with you. Can you tell I'm like getting inching closer and closer. Maybe put a little path. Listen, listen. Wrapping this thing up before I go to what's the moral of the story. Wrapping this up. Here's where I need to get to. Listen, the reason, if you want a litmus test, if you want a litmus test to Am I, Peter, living in that balance? Am I living as, a, as an ordinary rebel? Am I doing this thing? Am I, am I in a place where I'm not assimilating and I'm not separating? Am I living in this place of, of healthy balance? Am I living? And for those of us who may not know, let me give you what the scripture says. Let me tell you what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that you will know, you will know by this. If you are living in that balance, if you are living your life in a radical way, not assimilating, not withdrawing, two things will happen to you regularly. One, you'll get rejected. People will vilify you. They'll ridicule you. They'll make fun of you. They will. It's inevitable. But on the other hand, regularly people will also respect you. They will love you. 
The most fascinating thing about Daniel as we look at this passage is at the end, listen, at the end, when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, the emperor, the most powerful person on the face of the earth at the time, Darius, his heart is broken. He can't sleep. He can't eat. And the first thing in the morning, he shoots the lion's den. He loves Daniel. And on the other hand, government officials hate him, persecute him, want nothing to do with him. If you are living this life that God has called you to, you will regularly experience both persecution and respect. How are you doing? Let me take you to a passage real quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And, 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 and I just, oh, I wish I had more time. First Peter chapter 2, listen to this, you guys. This is, I think, the Apostle Peter essentially riffing on, this, on, on, on the book of Daniel. It's almost like he's thinking of the book of Daniel and the story of Daniel as he's writing this. Listen to what he says. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, can you totally just like see Daniel, right? They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know what Daniel says? He says, listen, are you a Christian? He says, you are an alien and a stranger in the world. He says, you're a foreigner. You're nothing like the culture around you. Get used to it. Don't assimilate. But he also said, and here's the powerful thing. Peter's using a Greek word when he says you're aliens and strangers. He's using a Greek word that literally meant foreigners. Now check this out. Peter is saying to Greeks living in Greek cities, you're foreigners. He's talking to Romans living in Roman cities and saying you're foreigners. He's talking to people whose race and ethnicity is from the same place they grew up in. He's talking to people who have for generations been in that place. And he's saying you're a foreigner. Why? Because when you become a Christian in a profound sense, you become an alien and a stranger. That's the inevitable result of following this Christ, radical Savior named Jesus. But on the other hand, check this out, look at you guys. Peter says we're resident aliens. Everybody say resident aliens. Resident aliens. What does that mean? The word aliens and strangers, another technical meaning, Greek word, that meant not tourists or visitors. You know, people who came for about a year, do some sightseeing and work that went home. He's talking about people who came from foreign countries but planned to live, permanently settle down, and make that place part of their home. Resident aliens. And he says, when you do that, when you live your life as resident aliens, he says two things will regularly happen to you. They'll accuse you. They'll vilify you. They'll reject you. They'll ridicule you. They'll persecute you for doing wrong. Literally doing wrong. They're going to look at what you're doing and say, how can you do that? But at the same time, at the same time, listen to this. They will see your good deeds. And good deeds in the Bible, in the New Testament, never. Never means being good, morally good. It means doing good. It means life lived out. And he says, when you're a radical follower of Jesus, look at this beautiful balance. When you're a radical follower of Jesus and live your life as resident aliens, strangers and foreigners, and you don't re- dissimilate, you remain distinct, you remain holy. Listen, for some of us, we need to hear this morning. You'll get persecuted. You'll get rejected. You'll get ridiculed. You'll be made fun of. You won't get into those circles. And here's the thing. Why are we surprised? <laughs> Why are we surprised? The Bible is saying, don't go, what the heck? What's going on? Hey, you can't do that to me. I'm going to lash back. The Bible says, don't be surprised. Don't lash back. Don't come back at them. 
The inner logic of their worldview is different from the inner logic of your worldview. They can't possibly understand you fully. So when it comes, be gentle, be kind, be compassionate. Are you guys tracking? Ah, this is so convicting for me personally. It's not just because I'm a pastor. I look at my life and I go, when's the last time I was accused for doing wrong? And I have to ask a question. How radically am I living out this life in the world? I don't know. Does this convict anybody else? Do you know what it means? It means if our life is very comfortable, it's very comfortable, it's very comfortable, it means there isn't anything distinct about us that they see that's actually offensive to them. And we've assimilated. But I'm a Christian. I go to Sunday. I read my Bible. It doesn't matter. You live out your life radically, the Bible says. They will look at you and accuse you of doing wrong. By the way, this isn't talking about Christians who go, oh, man, that's me. I'm persecuted all the time. I'm like, I'm offensive all the time, you know? (laughs) And if I were to ask your coworkers, are they? They'll be like, heck, yeah. They're offensive. They're just, they talk down to you. They shove down the Bible. That's not what Jesus never said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for abrasiveness sake. (laughs) Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Listen, you know what? You know what? For some of us, we need to, remember, think of this analogy. The church of Jesus Christ in America, our arms and our feet have been cut off, and we're just a big mouth. The body of Christ is just a big old mouth yapping away all the time. And the world goes, until I see your hands and feet, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. How are you doing, guys? How am I doing? But see the balance here? Because if the, you sit there going, I'm, that's me, I'm pretty good. And then he says, but here's another thing that will regularly happen is that you will be Recognize, you'll be respected. As a radical follower of Jesus, if you don't withdraw, but you come close, you move in, you serve, they will accuse you, but they will see your good deeds and they will glorify the Father in heaven. And this is very similar to what Jesus says. He says, if you are being the light, if you are being the salt, although you will get some accusation and you will get some persecution, at the same time, there will inevitably be people who will say, why are you the way you are? That's beautiful, that's attractive. Who are you? King Darius, are you okay, Daniel? Daniel had so won over King Darius' heart by the beauty of his life that King Darius is losing sleep because Daniel is in the lion's den. Here's a litmus test of how you know if you're living in the balance today after a lot of this whole sermon series and you walk out of these doors, you are asking yourself the question, am I regularly being persecuted for my faith and my life in Christ? But at the same time, am I also being encouraged because the unbelieving world is seeing the life in me and saying, I want to know your God. If you have already assimilated, you'll never encounter any of this. Why? There's nothing different about you. You look just like everybody else. You talk just like everybody else. And you'll be very comfortable. But on the other hand, 
Those of you that are like, sectarian, I'm going to, you won't suffer either. Why? You're so far away from interacting with the culture. You don't have any significant relationship with people who are outside the faith. You are so far away from it, people just think you're a weird freak. They just go, yeah, it's something about her, or something about him, but I don't know. Do you know her? No. Do you know him? No. Does anybody know her? Well, here, she's a Christian. Oh, that, well, that explains it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the world says. Can I just brief illustration before we move on? I told you about this uh, woman, Margot. This woman, Margot. Margot is one of our church folks. She's sitting right there. Margot, I, I just talked to her this morning. She, she's the one that came to me a while back and said, you know, Peter, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got some cool relationships with folks who are gay, you know? And I have shared it with her this morning, actually. You know what? Uh, next year, sermon series, we're going to do a sermon series on the book Unchristian. And I'm going to spend maybe a week or two on the issue of homosexuality. Not on theology, homosexuality, all that stuff, but homosexuality in terms of how the church deals with that issue and how we go about interacting with that community. Anybody want to hear that talk? I think so. You know why? Because we don't do a very good job. As Margot said, you talk to folks who are gay and they think the church hates them. She's been in relationship with a good friend one of her good friends and they're just hanging out and so on and so forth and she told me that there was a guy who's a friend of this person that she's friends with that just would just 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 drive her nuts you know these, these are folks that know that you're a christian and know that you have faith and they just sometimes try to intentionally annoy you and you guys have any friends like that right they try to oh, try to get to you a long story short you know, she was telling me that it was one day when when, when the person was just kind of acting up and, and, and margo very lovingly just kind of confronted the person And the person responded very positively. But here's the key. Margo's confrontation of this person, that person's positive response wasn't because, well, I'm going to confront you. It was the life that they saw of her day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And when she speaks up, he said, oh, sorry. And it's funny this morning just talking to her. I said, how's that interaction? And she goes, it's funny now because he'll want to say, gee. And he'll say, oh. Sorry, I don't want, you know, or the big GD word, as we like to call it, right? And just being around her has almost transformed even just the way he talks. And I thought, that's a beautiful thing, being salt and preservative. Uh, A waiter, a waiter, just became a Christian, was making a lot of money on tips, Before he became a Christian, he reported very little of it, just like everybody else in his workplace. Became a Christian, he's like, I got to report all of it. He's reporting seven times more tips than anybody else that works there, right? Seven times more. The manager comes and says, you got to stop because all the other waiters are like, look, we might get in trouble. He flat out said, I'm not going to report less than what I earn. That's not honest. Didn't make a fuss. Another story that I heard, oh, by the way, he was fired. They will accuse you of doing wrong. Another story I heard of a cop of a major city. Before he became a Christian, it was habit for cops to kind of overlook a harmless crime, prostitution in a certain part of the city. He becomes a Christian. The problem is that the pimps were giving these cops some money under the table to say, shh. The cops were going, no problem. He becomes a Christian. He doesn't want to do that. I can't do that. I can't just overlook it. So here's what he did. Instead of, I'm a Christian and I think that's wrong to take some money under the table because prostitution is illegal, blah, 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 blah. He just, he just simply, when money was, he's like, no, no, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take it. He just refused it. Didn't report, didn't make a fuss. Eventually, the word got around to the other cops that he was doing that. 
he found out that the cops were saying amongst themselves, when he calls her back up, be slow. His superior, you know, uh, supervisor approached him and just told him the facts, and he's like, hmm. he said, I encourage you, I want to encourage you to go to another precinct. I mean, they will accuse you of doing How are you doing? Look, how do we find the balance? Do you guys get that it's not about rules and regulations? Do you guys get that when you're going, how do I be a doctor in this world today? And how do I assimilate? How do I, no, 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 no. How am I as an actor? How do I? If you look for rules in the Bible to say, how does it guide me, guard me? There are no rules. You know what the important thing is? Let me just... God, help me right here to be clear. You know what the rule is? The big question is, what is your foundation? The entire story of Daniel centers around Nebuchadnezzar, right, having this dream of a dazzling statue. And the dream is essentially God saying to Nebuchadnezzar, and he's saying to all of us, all of us are on this life pursuit to create a dazzling statue of ourselves. Because we so desperately want a name, We so desperately want to be affirmed and approved. And do you realize, can I just be honest here, how much time we spend every day making sure that we present a dazzling self to the world? Some of you literally spend an hour this morning before you came to make sure that you look dazzling to all of us. We spend enormous amounts of time, not just physically, to make money, to be successful, to be morally good, to serve God. We spend every waking moment and going to night bed at night asking the question how do I make myself more dazzling and everything within us cries out unless I am dazzling unless I am accepted unless I am affirmed unless I am somebody unless I have glory unless I have a name that's the basic foundational posture of our lives Christian or not every day we spend hours upon hours to manage our image so that we are dazzling to people You see how practical this is? This isn't about rules and regulations and what do we do. The question that the Bible asks about whether you assimilate or not is not about do you drink, do you smoke, do you do these things. The question is, unless you come to a place of realizing that I am already dazzling because of what Christ has done for me. I am already dazzling. I'm already beautiful. I'm already accepted and approved. I was wicked and sinful, but because of Christ, look at me. I am radiant. I am dazzling. Unless you believe that, every day of your life is going to be spent on trying to be dazzling to the world, and you will not be able to find the balance to assimilate and to separate. Do you get that? If you are not believing that you are dazzling before God, you are radically accepted and embraced by Him, There's no way you're going to say no to the world who will say, don't you want to be dazzling? Come on. Don't you want this? You need this. You will never have the strength to say, no, I am dazzling. How are you going to go to the dark, hard places where it's salt is and where light is needed? You cannot go to those places if you're insecure about who you are, how strong you are, where you come from. The only way you can move out radically to the world is to say, I am dazzling. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? If you do not believe that, 
and embrace the truth of the gospel. I don't care if you're in ministry, doing good things, whatever. You will either assimilate or separate. It's not, listen, let me give you an example. A, a Northwestern student came up. She's a violin major. And she's struggling because assimilating with Jong is very, in that highly competitive world where she can be sucked up in cutthroat competition, out, you know, doing somebody and spending all her life. I just looked into her eyes and said, do you know what it means to be a violinist, a professional violinist who will be successful in this world is? Make sure that the reason why you want to be a violinist is for the glory of God and not you to make a name. Because as long as you are set on making yourself dazzling through violin and making a name, you will assimilate or you will withdraw. What is your foundation? What is your foundation? What is your foundation? Is your foundation the one who radically came to live the life that you're supposed to live and died the death you were supposed to die. So that even though we are more wicked and sinful than we ever dared believe, at the same time in Christ, we are more accepted and more loved. The moral of this story, you know what the moral of this story is? The moral of the story is be a good person like Daniel and God will protect you (laughs) here's the moral of the story I have to look I have to get down there I can't stay up here for this one I gotta get down there I feel so lonely up there I gotta be like close to you guys you know what I'm saying unfortunately I'm like only six feet tall so I can't really um, (coughs) (laughs) dazzling that's one deep insecurity I have. I, I'm, I'm insecure about my height. Anyway, okay, here we go. The moral of this story. Here's the moral of this story. Look, listen, listen. The moral of the story is Daniel and Lion's Den, it points us to salvation that is to come. Follow me, follow me. Miracles in the Bible, miracles in the Bible are never just naked displays of power. Miracles in the Bible are never Jesus saying, I fed the hungry, wasn't that cool? I'm God. <laughs> miracles in the Bible are like, receive sight, can you see? I'm God. You know what miracles are? Listen, miracles. C.S. Lewis said it this way, miracles are not suspensions of the natural order, but miracles were meant to be restoration of the natural order. You know what miracles serve? Miracles were ways of God pointing to the miracle and saying, you see that? That's how the world was supposed to be. Miracles were God going, do you see that? That's how the world will be one day. That's what miracles were. Miracles are tended to point to salvation. Gospel theme is saying, that's what it was supposed to be. So, lion's den, lion's den. What does lion's den represent? The overpowering strength of lion's Listen to this. In the Old Testament were symbols of destruction, chaos in the natural order. Do you remember that passage in Psalms? Let me read it for you again. 
Psalm 91 verse 13. It says, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, protect him, for he acknowledges my name. I will be with him in trouble. Deliverance from lions. Do you know what that miracle testifies? It's not if you believe God has strength. That miracle is God's way of saying destruction, power of lions, symbolic of chaos and destruction, brokenness, disintegration in the world today. There will come a time when because of a Savior's death and resurrection, the chaos and the destruction in nature and all of creation will be put back to order. You know what that is? It's a foretaste of what Isaiah 11, the messianic Isaiah passage where it talks about Jesus. Listen to this. The wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them, the cow will feed the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. That passage is God's glimpse into salvation history and saying there will come a time when this world and its brokenness and messed up sin isn't just going to be done away with, but I will restore it. He will be renewed. Is that good news? That's what that story is about. Angel, the angel of the Lord in the lion's den where the lions are, picture of Isaiah 6, was God's way of not saying, trust God and he'll save you. It's God's way of saying, you see that picture? That's what comes. All of creation. Is that good news? So then you go, well, how do we know that that's going to happen, Peter? Here's how we know. Remember that other passage about lions? Psalm 22. Roaring lion, tear their prey, open their mouth wide against me. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Do you know what that is? Everybody, please, I need you just for a couple more minutes. You know what that passage is? The roar of the lions, the strength and power of lions wasn't just symbolic of destructive force of, 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 of creation, the chaos creation that God's going to restore, but the roar of lions in particular, as we look at that passage throughout the book of Old Testament, the roar of lions was not just a symbol of suffering, but it was more particularly. The reason why it's in Psalm 22 is that's the psalm that Jesus declares out on the cross. Why? You know what the ultimate lion's den is? Ultimate lion's den is not just suffering in general. The ultimate lion's den is... The justice of God. The wrath of God being poured out so that all of creation can be healed and renewed by the life and death of his son. Do you know how you're supposed to read moral of the story, Daniel 6? Centuries later, the real Daniel came who was accused by high officials. Centuries later, the real Daniel came who was handled in a miscarriage of justice. Centuries later came the real Daniel, who lived a sinless, perfect life, and yet he was given over to the authority. Centuries later came the real Daniel, who was also thrown into a grave, who also had a stone cover the mouth of the grave. Centuries later came a real Daniel, who but suffered only to rise again three days later. And you say, why? Why did Jesus do that? Why the lion's den of justice and wrath of God? To make you and me dazzling and radiant so that we could move out into the world in strength. Is that good news?
the only way that you're going to be able to handle sickness and disease in this life is if you realize that the ultimate sickness and ultimate disease of sin and death has been taken away. The only way that you're going to be able to handle suffering in this life is not answers to why is there suffering, but the only way that you know is just as that angel of the Lord was in the furnace of fire and delivered not from outside, come on out, he went into the fire, stayed in the fire. Instead of delivering Daniel outside of the lion's den, he went into the lion's den so that Daniel could come out. Only way we can have suffering in this world is to know that Jesus suffers for and with us. The only way that you'll be able to handle loneliness in this life is knowing that because Jesus Christ, the Son of God on the cross, was cast away by his heavenly Father, you and I will never, ever be cast away and abandoned He paid a price so that we wouldn't. The only way that we'll be able to move out into the world in strength is to know you don't have to spend all kinds of energy making yourself dazzling and name for yourself, but it's to know he has done that for me. He has done that for me. C.S. Lewis said this, you'll never be able to tame the lions in your life until you are willing to let God be the untamed lion in your life. Pray with me. Pray with me. When you and I get up to sing this song, light of the world, light of the world, shine upon us, a big part of what that means is that God has shown his dazzling, radiant light on you, and you as a result know, know that you are radiant, know that you are dazzling, know that you have a name, know that you are complete, perfect, beautiful, redeemed, forgiven, accepted. this song means we all stand together let's all stand together and ushers with their lights don't go yet I want us to respond by singing this song as our prayer and if someone can help out with the lights and turn the lights off please as we approach our God and respond to him in worship There's no confusion about your face and your disposition towards your kids. Father, may that be our anchor as we leave this place today, declaring the name of Jesus, wonderful counselor. Yes, he is. Mighty God. Yes, he is. Eternal one. Yes, he is. Prince of peace. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, and all of God's people said,
Have an amazing week. And we'll see you guys next weekend. Take care, you guys.